five, four, three, two, one. Lift off of the Falcon 9. Hi, I'm Mark Boucher. Welcome to the Space Economy Podcast and the next episode in our special series, Doing Business in the Solar System, hosted by Elizabeth Howell. Today's episode focuses on the icy moons of the solar system and their potential for future in-situ resource utilization. Listen in. Welcome to Doing Business in the Solar System, where we talk about finding opportunities in the universe. This is a SpaceQ podcast, and your host is Elizabeth Howell. In October 2024, a NASA mission is scheduled to launch to one of the most famous icy moons of the solar system. Europa Clipper will take a six-year journey to Jupiter's system and go in orbit around the gas giant planet. From there, it will make dozens of flybys by Europa to learn more about its ice, its ocean, and the moon's potential for habitability. To tell us more about the mission and its implications, we'll hear from Ingrid Dauber. She is a project staff scientist on Europa Clipper and an assistant professor of research at Brown University. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much for being here. So why don't we begin with Europa, talk a little bit more about this destination. So can you talk about it being kind of like this icy moon that tells us a little bit more about how icy moons in the solar system function that might be habitable? Sure, yeah. So the three key ingredients for life as we know it are liquid water, having the right chemistry, and an energy source. Um, these icy moons in the outer solar system that have subsurface oceans are a really exciting possibility for having habitable conditions because something has to be heating those oceans to keep them liquid. This could be the energy source that life depends on. There are several of these ocean worlds, but we think Europa is the most promising example of one of these moons with a liquid water ocean under an icy crust. That ocean is probably in contact with the rocky interior beneath it, and that water-rock interface could be the source of the chemical energy that life needs. And in addition, that outer icy crust might even be thin enough to allow for exchange of material between the ocean and the surface, where Jupiter's radiation creates other molecules that we think are important for life. In fact, there might even be plumes of material being ejected into space that could come from an ocean or subsurface pockets of liquid. And whether or not those plumes are present, the Europa Clipper mission is going to allow us to study the material in space or on the surface that might have come from the ocean and really investigate whether the other aspects of a habitable environment are present there. Very interesting. And when you're talking about those plumes, you mean, for example, the ones that Hubble might have spotted a few years ago? Exactly. Yeah, there's some indications that they might be there at Europa. Mm -hmm. That's really exciting because I know that over at Saturn, for example, Enceladus is definitely pluming, right? Because we had Cassini flying by able to see all that. So Right. Yes. Yeah. We, we saw some really exciting plumes at Enceladus. We don't know if they're at Europa, but we really want to find out. <laughs> well, I definitely want to find that out for sure. And then uh, besides obviously the plumes, um, what other unanswered questions about Europa will the Clipper mission focus on? Yeah, so there's a lot of unanswered questions. Um, the Voyager mission showed us quite a while ago that Europa has this really unusually young surface. 
Um, and then the Galileo mission in the 90s showed us, um, gave us really strong evidence that there's a vast subsurface ocean of liquid water there. But we really don't know exactly how deep it is, how much of other materials like salts or organics that are important for life might be mixed in, or how much of that material might be exchanged between the ocean and the surface and how those exchanges might happen. So the Europa Clipper mission, our goal is to answer these questions specifically that relate to the habitability of Europa. We want to study the composition of the surface to determine if the chemistry there is conducive to life um, and see whether those surface materials might be exchanged with the ocean. There's also just a lot of unexplored and unexplained geology that we aim to study so we can understand the history of the moon, including whether there's any very recent or even current geologic activity. Um, we're going to search for those plumes, and if we find them, we'll be able to measure how much and what type of materials are in them and possibly even where it came from. Um, overall, the big, our big unanswered question, our mission's goal is to really understand whether or not Europa has all the ingredients for a habitable environment. And when you say habitable, are you talking about microbes, bacteria, what kind of types of uh, life might be present if it is indeed habitable? You know, that's a really good question. I think we have to go there to find out. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's probably something um, on the fairly basic side, because um, otherwise we might have seen evidence for it already. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So we're not looking for, you know, as little green men or whatever the other uh, movies used to be. It's a little bit different, right? So you never know though, right? That's why we have to go there. <laughs> no, that's very true. And I will be talking later about Europa Report, which has some more infamous types of aliens. They were a little more hard to classify, but let's let's stick to the science for the time being. So um, we've talked a little bit about this ice environment and how is Europa Clipper going to be seeing underneath it? Because from what I understand, it might be quite thick, right? So how are we going to be taking a look so we don't know how thick it is. That's one of the questions we want to answer. Um, Europa Clipper is going to make more than 50 close flybys, and we have 10 instruments that are going to study the surface and the environment um, in various ways that will try to get under that icy crust. Um, one way we're going to probe under that ice is using a subsurface radar instrument that will try to detect the base of that crust and if there are any pockets of liquid water even within the crust. Um, using that radar together with a magnetometer, we'll be able to measure the thickness of the crust. Uh, we have other instruments that are going to study the magnetic field, the plasma, and the gravity around Europa and try to constrain the thickness and the salinity and the overall composition of that ocean. We also have a suite of cameras and spectrometers that are going to investigate the geology and composition of the surface. And using those, we can infer what geologic processes have occurred and what that implies about the presence and depth of an ocean. We also have uh, several different instruments that, like I said, are going to search for plumes. Um, if we find any, their composition and the geologic setting will help us figure out where the material came from and what that implies about the composition of the ocean and the structure of the interior. Wonderful. And then what kind of questions are you hoping, ideally, if this all goes to plan, that uh, Europa Clipper will answer concerning the potential for habitability? So I'm hoping that the mission will really just help us understand more about what potential is there for habitable environments beyond the Earth, um, obviously on Europa, but also there are implications for what that might mean for the habitability of other ocean world moons in the outer solar system. Interesting. And do you mind uh, quickly running through some of the other possibilities for icy moons in the solar system besides obviously Enceladus? Sure, yeah. There's um, the other Galilean satellites. Um, we believe they might have liquid oceans as well, such as Ganymede. Um, Titan is a satellite around 
Saturn um, that also has really fascinating uh, chemistry and probably also has a subsurface liquid ocean, although the composition is probably different. Um, you mentioned Enceladus, that's also an interesting target. Um, so there's quite a few interesting ocean worlds in the outer solar system. And these are largely beside large gas giant planets, right? So we're talking Jupiter, Saturn, excuse me, Uranus, Neptune. Correct, yes. Yeah, so what's really cool about them, obviously, is that we have these really huge gas giant planets that might be helping with their orbital energy, provide a bit of a source of energy for the moons and keeping them warm, even though they're far away from the sun. So Exactly, yeah. Yeah, when we discovered um, these tidal interactions were really stressing the interiors of a lot of these satellites, and it gives them a, a, essentially a heat source that extends what we think the habitable zone might be in our solar system. Okay, now if I make it go even further out, and thanks for your patience, because I know that I'm going more into speculative moments here. <laughs> However, um, if all the money in the world, obviously, and all the other metrics work in your favor, so you go out to Europa, you find um, some sort of indication that there might be something interesting to follow up on, if I may put it gently, can you talk about what might come next? So there might be a lander or another craft that we might put on the surface of Europa or another way that we might be moving forward? Yeah, so the, the next logical step after Europa Clipper um, is probably a landed mission. And if, if something like that were to happen, it would almost certainly explore that astrobiological potential of Europa um, and try to search for evidence of life. Um, to do this, I'd probably have to dig down or drill down somehow to get samples because the radiation at the surface of Europa is just deadly. Um, and for any mission like that that's going to land on the surface, Europa Clipper is going to be really critical. Um, first of all, we'll help identify which sites are the most interesting scientifically. Um, for example, places where really fresh material has been deposited or exposed by current geologic activity. And then secondly, Clipper data are really going to be needed to make sure any future spacecraft can land safely, to find a spot that's not too rough or too steep or anything that might endanger the lander in any way. That's fascinating. And one of the things I really love about NASA and its partners is the NASA Innovative Advanced Concepts Program. And what it does is it really shows a lot of ideas that are at an early stage, but are being pursued to see how we can help those missions that might be 20 or 30 or 40 years down the road. And so who knows, something that somebody is looking at right now might end up um, in some form on one of those future missions, including one to Europa, if that was to happen. So I always like to look at it as a bit of future thinking. You know, just, <laughs> yeah, just sort yeah of like, definitely. Yeah, I mean, the, the Europa Clipper mission has been in development for a long time. It takes a long time to put all this together. Mm -hmm. No, it's incredible because obviously when you see the spacecraft go out, you know that about 20 or 30 years of development usually gets laid behind it, right? Because our various mission concepts, the funding proposals, and then of course the actual building itself, which can take a decade or more for the, uh, the more complex missions. All right, let's talk about uh, human missions, which again is a little bit more speculative, but we are trying to talk about thinking about business opportunities, right? So even if it's 50 years in the future or 100 years in the future, we still want to be thinking in that direction at times. And so I mentioned this science fiction movie called Europa Report, and I won't go too far into the plot in case folks haven't seen it, but it's this film where essentially we have a fictional depiction of people going to the moon. There was some sort of corporate interests involved and perhaps a little bit of sort of go that way. We're not gonna pay much attention to what you're doing. And then <laughs> they land on the moon and things start to happen. They start running into some trouble with the aforementioned alien population. And I'll leave it there because it is an entertaining uh, popcorn sort of a watch. But in real life, you know, if you we were to sort of put aside the science fiction elements and the uh, corporation that doesn't really care about what's going on, in real life, would a mission by humans be feasible at all? 
So, yeah, I mean, that I really enjoyed that movie, too. It was a lot of fun, um, especially to imagine what it might be like to go there. But unfortunately, it would be incredibly difficult to send humans to Europa. Um, the radiation environment is is the primary problem. It's, it's just lethal. Um, so on the spacecraft we're working on, we have to carefully shield all these delicate instruments from the really intense radiation. Um, an astronaut... Um, couldn't survive that radiation even for just a few hours. So, so for now, we're really excited just to send these robots. Yeah, and actually, that's one of the re reasons that you're doing flybys of Europa, right? You're trying to sort of dip in and out of the radiation environment as best as you can, even though it's still going to be bad. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's really challenging. Um, it would it wouldn't be possible to orbit Europa itself. So we're orbiting Jupiter, and we're doing all these really close flybys of Europa so that uh, we're not exposed to that radiation for too long. Yeah, and uh, right now, of course, there's a Juno mission happening at Jupiter, and I know that it's in its, at least its extended, second extended mission, I believe, but of course, they're keeping an eye on the radiation to make sure that it's still functioning well amid this environment, and it's doing very well, so I'm not saying that there isn't uh, any hope, at least for the machines, we have to make sure to have a lot of shielding, obviously, before uh, you get out to those realms. Exactly, it's a, it's a real engineering challenge. Mm -hmm. For sure, yeah, exactly. Let's talk about in situ resource utilization. And so it's that idea of people living off the land. We often see it talked about with the moon missions, especially the Artemis program is sort of in development by NASA and other international partners, and then a bit more in the future with Mars. And hopefully some of the stuff that we're using on the moon can be ported to Mars. They're rocky environments. They're fairly similar in at least some ways. And so there's kind of a bit of hope there. But what about Europa? You've already talked about some interesting stuff that humans might want, including, for example, water and maybe even some of the other resources that are there. So is there any chance, even though it's a more watery, oceany environment compared with the moon and Mars, that we could apply the same principles over there at Europa? Yeah, it's a it's an interesting question. I mean, we, we do think that the surface is water ice, frozen water ice, um, but really it's kind of too soon to know if, if it's really a real possibility to actually use that for a mission. Um, you know, the Europa Clipper mission is really focused just on the robotic exploration. And so we're just really looking forward to that for now. That makes a lot of sense. And there's still a lot of time, obviously, before we need to bring humans out of there. Okay, so we touched on briefly some other moves in the solar system, but I want to zoom in again, because I really feel that at least we're at a stage now where it's good to sort of think about comparisons, especially because depending on where you might be working in your company or in other places, you might be more familiar with one world than another. And so I already mentioned Saturn. So at, there at Saturn, we have Enceladus, which is famous for its dozens of erupting water geysers, as the Cassini mission showed us. And so how is Europa comparable to or different from Enceladus? as we know today. Yeah, so um, as you said, Europa and Enceladus are both these icy satellites orbiting the giant planets in our solar system. Um, both of them probably have liquid water oceans below the surface. Um, when we look at the surface, some of those geologic features appear to be due to some similar processes. You know, we think they're both um, experiencing a lot of tectonic stresses from tidal forces. Um, but there are some important differences too. Um, Enceladus is much smaller than Europa. Um, and as you mentioned, um, we saw with, from the Cassini mission these really exciting plumes um, coming from the surface. Um, those, those geysers actually had par particles of water ice and even organic material probably coming from that subsurface ocean, um, which is very interesting. Um, at Europa, we actually don't know as much about plumes, if they're present, where, how often they might erupt, what material they might contain, or where they might come from. So we're really excited just to learn a lot more with this mission. 
Excellent. And I'd also like to touch on the other Jovian moons because uh, there's going to be a European mission called JUICE that's going to be heading out and studying a bunch of them, including Ganymede. And so how are the other big Galileo satellites at Jupiter comparable to Europa? Yeah, so Ganymede and Europa, they're, they're sister satellites, both orbiting Jupiter. Um, both of them have water ice crusts, and we think they have liquid water ocean beneath that. Um, however, we think Europa's ocean is probably in direct contact with the rock beneath it, while Ganymede's ocean is probably sandwiched between ice layers. So the chemistry of those oceans is going to be different. Um, we think that rock water interaction at the bottom of Europa's ocean could be one of the key aspects to its habitability. Um, whereas uh, on Ganymede, it's going to be more ice interacting with, with liquid water. Um, Europa is smaller than Ganymede, but its surface is much younger. Uh, we think that's because Europa is more geologically active with some ongoing processes that actually erase the craters on the surface. While when we look at Ganymede, the surface is really old with lots and lots of craters. Um, and all that activity on Europa is driven by the tidal heating. Um, and we, we're really interested in that young surface um, of Europa because it shows us that, that there's some sort of really strong internal heat source, which could provide that energy needed for life. Um, and it shows us that the internal ocean and the surface might be in contact, maybe even exchanging material. So um, yeah, Juice is gonna tell us a lot more about Ganymede and that'll be a really interesting comparison going forward. For sure. And then uh, do you know much about Callisto and Io, how it compares to Europa? Um, so Callisto is also a, has an older crater-covered surface. Um, we think there might be a subsurface ocean, but again, we don't know for sure. Um, Io is different. It has, a instead of a liquid water surface, it has a, a probably a silicate surface, and it has um, more volcanism than any other body in a solar system. Um, again, probably driven by these tidal heating interactions um, among all the satellites in Jupiter as they orbit each other. Um, so Io is, Io is also a really interesting place, and um, I know there have been uh, missions proposed to go there as well. So hopefully we'll learn more about um, IO from JUICE and from other missions. That'd be really cool because I just love looking at pictures of it. I realize that some of them are <laughs> rendered in, in false color, but all the same, it has this kind of pizza look to it at times, right? Depending on how you uh, put the image together, it's just kind of this interesting set of colors and also these splotches and the, the surface is rather young too in certain parts. So lots to look at. And I think it might change rapidly too between missions if we're doing it once a decade or so. so. Yes, it's true. Io has um, all these uh, really beautiful colors from all different sulfur compounds that are there. Um, and, and, you know, as we study Europa, we're hoping to learn more about um, interactions with Io as well. Um, there have been uh, some ideas that perhaps material could be excavated from Io and actually impact onto Europa, for example. Fantastic. And then uh, another one that's uh, mentioned quite a bit is Titan, which potentially has precursor chemistry to life over at Saturn. And so can you talk about Europa's comparisons to Titan? Yeah, Titan's also an interesting place. Um, it's, it's larger than Europa, um, and it has a thick nitrogen atmosphere, which is pretty unique. Um, most other moons don't have any atmospheres at all. Um, and both Titan and Europa are thought to have these subsurface liquid oceans, so more of these ocean worlds that are really interesting. But the compositions of those oceans are probably really different. Um, Titan's ocean may be mostly ammonia, while Europa's ocean is likely mostly water. Um, and then, again, I mentioned how Europa's ocean is in contact with rock at the base. 
Titan's ocean probably has more ice um, or frozen hydrocarbons at its base. So that um, kind of rock liquid interaction was more limited. Um, really Titan, the most interesting um, aspect of it is all of these hydrocarbons and other organic materials um, that we're pretty sure are there um, versus on Europa, we really have only hypothesized that organic material might be present there. Um, so, so both of these moons have really interesting astrobiological possibilities, uh, but that complex organic material in Titan looks a lot like the prebiotic chemistry that led to the origins of life on Earth billions of years ago. Um, Titan's also a lot colder, so there's more limited energy available for life. Um, whereas on Europa, we really hope to find some evidence of currently habitable environments. Fascinating. And if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you a couple of quick questions just about your own research and how it relates to uh, to Europa. And so what are you working on? You know, what kind of things are you <laughs> examining as a scientist that may help you in your studies over at Europa? Yeah, so um, I'm interested in, in learning all that we can about Europa, but um, to be honest, my favorite geologic feature are craters. Um, so I study a lot of craters, especially small craters. Um, and on Europa, um, there actually aren't that many craters. I talked about how the surface is pretty young. Um, so there aren't that many craters, but the ones we do know are really interesting. They um, they have morphologies that are different than what we might expect. Um, and, and studying those in more detail is gonna um, give us a window into the interior structure. So um, based on, for example, the depths of different size craters, we can get estimates of how thick that icy crust is over the ocean. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. And then um, the other aspect of, of planetary science that really fascinates me is current activity, things that are going on right now. So I'm really interested to look at the surface of Europa and see what we can see that's actually changing and, um, and happening right now on this icy body. Fascinating. And then in terms of the students you're teaching, um, what kind of opportunities will they have to get involved in Europa, whether it's through directly through this mission or just by looking at the other science? It's like, what ways are you going to introduce the moon to them? Maybe the best way to ask that question. You know, there's going to be a lot of opportunities in the future for students to get involved in this mission, but it's a little bit early right now for uh, the public to really be uh, uh, involved directly. No, that makes a lot of sense. We still have a, a lot of time. Well, I really appreciate um, you coming in today. So that's it for today. This is a Space Cube podcast. Welcome to uh, Doing Business in the Solar System. And your host is Elizabeth Howell. Well, that's a wrap on this episode. Your feedback is very much appreciated. Please use our Twitter channel, at The Economy Space, to contact us, or send an email to podcast at spaceq.ca. Help others discover our podcast by writing a review on whichever platform you use. Thank you. <laughs>